let's just say that it was more out of being terrified that things would <laughs> yeah. never be fixed again if we didn't fix it. So we didn't get too much sleep. We just were in like a mission to, to save our lives at that point because we felt like, okay, we've worked on this game for like a year. It, it cannot fail. That would be so bad. This is Wesley and Zombody, creators of Death Run. Death Run started as a Roblox reimagining of a classic game mode where a group of runners dash to complete a course, while another player, the killer, attempts to snare them in a series of inventive traps. Yet the remarkable thing about Wesley and Zombody is how successful they've been in building on this concept and making it their own. Five years on from release, they have 200 million plays and four Bloxy awards under their belt. It's undeniable they've created a genre-dominating game that has stood the test of time. We talked about how the two Dutch developers got their start on the platform as teenagers, first as bitter rivals and then as an unstoppable team taking the front page by storm. My name is Billy Cavell and this is Player to Creator. Wesley and Zumbody, thank you so much for coming to uh, be a part of this podcast, Player to Creator. It means a lot that you've given your time um, and this jam-packed weekend to uh, talk to us about your experiences as, as players and creators uh, of some of the most, one of the most popular games uh, on Roblox, Death Run, um, very recognizable game. And so I'm very excited to kind of uh, hear your guys' stories. So um, why don't we just start with the, with the basic question of how did you first learn about Roblox? For me, um, it's definitely gone back to like 10 years ago. I feel like um, 2018 was my 10 year anniversary on the platform. So I've been here for a long ride. Wow. Um, it, magically appeared somewhere um, through like my Windows Live Messenger account. Uh, a friend of mine was pretty much showing people a model he created on Roblox a long time ago. It was this morph where if you could stand on uh, like a pad, it would transfer your character into like a Star Wars character, which to me sounded wild because I had never seen something like that before on the internet. So I was like, sure, I'll go check it out. Um, so <laughs> I'm drawn I, in. Yeah, yeah okay, like, I'll that bite. sounds pretty engaging. I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, so I downloaded Roblox back in the day. It was just like this online Lego type thing. It didn't have anything that it had right now. Um, so I was downloading Studio. I inserted the model. I walked on the pressure plate and like, sure enough, I was a Star Wars character and I was pretty sold on that. And that's how I going on the platform. Was it a recognizable Star Wars character? I don't like remember a... which one it was, yeah. so it probably wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a blue lightsaber and a cloak. Yeah, that did it for me back in the day. <laughs> cool, and how about you somebody? So as for me, I was also introduced to Roblox by a friend, which might actually be the same friend who also introduced Roblox to Wesley. I'm not sure though. Was it Jackie? Um, no, for me it was Lars Hoog. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, he introduced me to uh, Roblox and he showed me a few things he had created and I really liked uh, to create my own stuff. Um, we played together on a different game where I also created a lot of different things. So it was just natural to just check it out, uh, see what's going on. I created an account and then from there on it's pretty much just history. Yeah. Um, and did you guys know each other before? But how, how long have you guys known each other? Vaguely. Like, I remember we were like friends of friends. So like, I've heard of somebody before. He's probably heard of me. And then like, through that friend, like Jackie, he sort of like introduced uh, like us to ourselves. Um, and that's like how we got in touch. And like, initially we just knew each other not much was happening. And then as soon as we started making games, I feel like we kind of like found our way. And now we're at this magical point. Yeah, and yeah. it's pretty magical, right? <laughs> it is. Um, and so when you when you guys first kind of were introduced, 
um, was it immediately sort of like, a, cool, we'll, we'll just try making games? Or was it, did you go sort of more into playing first? Well, actually, funny story. Uh, at first, I hated Wesley. <laughs> because it was pretty much a competitor who... Um, <laughs> Like, we had similar interests, but we were on different platforms at the time, so yeah. he made something on Roblox, which I tried to do on a different game, and so, um, yeah, we didn't really like each, uh, each other that much at the time. It's um, funny, because we were both at this point where we liked Death Run as, like, a game. Um, yeah. It's not an original idea, it came from Gary's Mod, which is, like, this Steam game that people play a lot, um, and we both made, like, our own interpretation of that game. Separately. Yeah, separately. Yeah. Hence the hate. But we still kind of knew about each other's existence at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. um, and then somehow, like, you moved to Roblox, and I, at that point, was still working on Daphne by myself. I had a bunch of friends help out, but it was nothing permanently. It was mostly just, you know, I have this thing that I'm not serious about, but I would like to grow it. Um, and then somebody came in the picture, and at some point we set our difference aside. I'm yeah. not sure how that happened, and we, we teamed up. I mean, uh, I think the way it happened was we had a uh, mutual friend called Mark who actually, he was also Dutch, and he decided to uh, meet up in real life. And ah, so yeah. the first time, yeah, when we set our differences aside was when we actually met in real life and we got to know each other a little bit better. Yep. And I was like, yeah, this guy isn't that bad after all. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> No, I found that pretty funny because, like, usually I heard a lot of stories about, like, developers in the Roblox community, like, they work remotely, they don't really know each other, and then they, they like, finally meet at REC or, like, another, like, occurrence where they, like, see each other for the first time. For us, like, we, we sort of, like, knew that we existed, but we never really talked with each other. We were sort of, like, competing, and then, like, we saw each other in real life, and that clicked, and then we thought, like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as it seems. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, like, that, that's been, like, Four years ago, like easily. Five I think years even, even. even longer. Yeah. I think when we first started making games together, that was like 2014, maybe even. Something along those lines. I know we started with the current iteration of Death Run like in 2014, so I feel like that must have been like 2013 even. Yeah, so six years, maybe even longer. Yeah. And so you guys weren't working remotely, you had that like physical contact, you saw each other or? We were definitely working remotely in the sense that we saw each other once um, and then <laughs> we started talking on the internet. Yeah. Uh, we've all always like lived like 20 minutes apart from each other, yeah. uh, but we don't really work on location. We all work remotely, we talk through Discord, we call a lot um, just to get like communication flowing. But like historically, we've always done it remotely. We've always done it like on our own pace, uh, which is kind of just the way that it worked out for us. Yeah, and as you say, you guys sort of decided to kind of um, cooperate and collaborate rather than compete. Yeah. Um, which obviously worked out incredibly well for both of you. In the end, it definitely did. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like like the both of us, we were sort of like like iffy about it. Like, hmm, is this gonna work? Like, but I think like it worked out fantastically in the end. Yeah. Success is a powerful bonding agent, right? Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Because uh, when you were working on the predecessor of our current version of Daphron, mm -hmm. you pretty much just needed a uh, programmer. Yeah. And so I had that skill set. Well, at the time, I wasn't really that great of a programmer, but it was enough for uh, what they were looking for at the time. So. Yeah, I feel like that's like sort of like inherent to the story of Daphron. It always used to be just something that I put out there, and I wasn't very serious about it. And then Roblox's platform started growing. They started introducing the developer exchange. They started introducing game passes and developer products that allowed you to actually purchase things in games. And I thought, okay, um, like I might be able to make this more as just a hobby. Because at that point, it was taking a fair amount of time out of my day. I was coming home from high school, needed to do homework. 
um, pretty much finding myself unable to do much on the game. And then I thought, okay, like I do want to be more serious about this. Um, I do want to actually start working on like a new version of it. Um, but like the current version is still alive and kicking. We should probably do something with it. Um, and yeah, like I didn't have any programming skills uh, back in the day. I was mostly relying on like a friend of mine who did some like things whenever I needed it to be. Um, it was more of like a collaborative, collaborative thing where he would like it was like our project. And then at some point he dropped out, and I was kind of like feeling left like oh. That sucks. Um, and then, like, yeah, I was like looking for someone else to do that with, because um, like I wanted this to become more serious, but not on my own, because that's kind of like a boring thing to do. And you found somebody. Yeah, essentially, like no that pun just intended. happened. <laughs> and then, like, initially, it was more like you know, somebody filled in that missing link in like getting the game out there. Um, but like as we moved to like the new iteration, like some of my other friends, they stopped playing Roblox because they were going to old or they were going to university. Like somebody kind of like stick with it, and I feel like I also did that. And then at some point we were just thinking like, okay, let's just like really do this together and like start investing into a new game. How how did you guys split the workload? What did you see in the other person in terms of their talent and their skill that you needed when you collaborated together? So um, I'm not sure how exactly. It worked back then, but right now our skill sets are pretty much. Um, yeah. I'm more uh, back end programming and building, mm -hmm. whereas Wesley is more front end programming and UI design. Yeah, and I feel like it all always uh, was that way. So initially I was more of a front end guy and he did more of the scripting um, section. Um, so when I initially worked on the game myself, I would very much invest time in just building new stuff, uh, putting new items into the game, um, getting new UI in there, and then I had a friend of mine take care of like behind the scenes stuff that you don't really see that much. Um, and that that's like why when he dropped out, I felt like, oh, well, I can still continue the things that I do, but it's not gonna really improve the game if there's no one working behind the scenes to get it done. Um, and I felt like like our skill set, especially like when, when, we, when we started, there was a very uh, like defining line between us that was like, okay, you do all the scripting, I do like some of the UI stuff. Um, I did some of the building initially, then you took over a lot of the building. I started taking over some of the scripting as we like moved forward. Like at this point we're kind of like a state where we've both built some maps, we've both done some scripting, like I've learned a lot from you, um, it might be the same like the other way around. And I feel like we're sort of like growing into each other in that sense where like we're both being able to be better collaborators, we're, we're making a good team, but also our like personal skills are like flowing together and we were like being able to learn from the other person. Mm -hmm. What's also a little interesting is that um, my skill set is pretty much just building and programming, uh, which is something you don't really see that often. Usually there is a distinct, uh, like a distinct line between someone's really technical and can program or someone is more uh, artistical and can build and then uh, do, do the art and modeling, that kind of stuff. But when you, uh, a game like Defron, uh, the content is essentially maps with traps and those traps have to like be activated and they have to do stuff so that's pretty much just code that has to be there. So the interesting part of Defron is if you want to add content you have to add both code and you need a builder to build a map and that's a skill set which I essentially just have to build and to program so when more content is needed um, I could essentially just start on my own, build a map, program traps, and there wouldn't have to be that much communication. So it really worked pretty well. Yeah, 
And I feel like that's also like inherent to how we were able to link like a new iteration of the game because I had some visions of like how do we piece this game together? How do we elevate it to the next level? I wasn't able to pull everything off, but I felt like I was like looking into the right direction. And then you pretty much came along and you were able to like pioneer some new traps, some new like interactions within the game. And I felt like the combination of those two really like ended up like both making a successor to like our initial version. Um, and also really like set the bar quite high that we're still at a level today where like the game does quite well compared to other games on the platform. Yeah. And also speaking of bar being really high, uh, like Deference, one of those games, uh, there's also a few other games that have like community members that want to uh, like make content for the game. Uh, so one example would, uh, would be Flood Escape, uh, which also has community maps. Um, and then there were a lot of people who want to make maps for Daphron, but we now run into this issue where, um, because the bar is set pretty high, uh, not a lot of people actually are able to like reach that level and create a map mm -hmm. that is at the level that we want it to be. So we usually um, have to decline a lot of maps, uh, and we try to be like really low key uh, when people say, "Oh, I want to make a map for Daphron," because um, yeah. And I mean, cool. like, on but, one hand, it's awesome to have, like, the community be so active and make a ton of maps, but, like, we're also, like, feeling the pain of our own success in that way. Because we've been spending years on this game, improving it, adding more stuff, we're now at a point where, even for us, it's such a major investment to add something new to the game whenever we feel like, oh, let's add a new map. That's at least going to take us, like, a full month of development time, which, like, within the scope of a Roblox game, that's, like, unheard of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the craziest map? submission you've received from someone? Craziest might not be the right word, uh, but we had someone who made a map, uh, which is essentially just a construction site kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and it was built pretty well, uh, but in Deferent we have like different rules that you have to follow for a map. Uh, so for example, for creating user experience, you will have uh, the runners, the players who are like running around on the map, um, they would have to take the long path, so the person who is activating the traps can take the short path, so he is never really chasing after the runners. And there's a little more uh, detail and all those kind of rules. And so this person made a really great map with a lot of great assets. And uh, it was something that we hadn't seen before, like construction side uh, kind of stuff. Uh, there were new tracks that we didn't really think about, so like different perspective, different content. And then Wesley spent a lot of time to uh, like refine the map because it was pretty unique and we hadn't seen it before yeah so we really wanted it to be in the game so Wesley spent a lot of time just redesigning the map a little bit like taking assets and restructuring a little bit because we didn't really want that talent to go to waste right yeah so that map was like crazily like creative I had never seen something that was that well pieced together but at the same time layout of the map was all over the place there were like teleporters like linking the different paths together and we thought like okay we can definitely see all the amazing ideas in this map. The execution, like, it's not bad, but it's not according to, like, the rules that a different map has to follow. Mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, we feel like, okay, like... What are your rules? Sorry to, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So there's, like a, there, like, a bunch of different rules, like the one that Zombody just explained, when it comes to, like, having the two paths, uh, like, kind of, like, sync up, so the killer path should be shorter than the runner path. Uh, there are some rules with the traps, so we have, like, a difficulty curve that kind of, like, ramps up but then we don't want the last traps in the map to be the most difficult because that's also feeling unfair to like a lot of runners that then finally reach the end and they're just getting punished. 
Um, the thing that we find the most tough about doing this map progress is that they're like undefined rules. We, we've never like set up a list of guidelines. We've never made a map kit that people are allowed to follow. There's not a formula that makes a good different map. And that's part of the reason why it always takes like a month to build them. There's so much like painstaking testing and iterating going on uh, behind the scenes to make these things work. Um, more often than once, we've made something that didn't work and we have to throw it away. Uh, more, more often than once, we're always like working on an idea and then we go to like three different layouts before we find something that we like. Do you have like an example of, of a time that that happened? Um, I feel like some of the initial maps, like the Ice Cavern one, um, those are less conservative I would say right now we're, we're always like following the template where like every map is like a circle and then the killer is on the inside and the runner is on the outside so they have like the longer path uh, back in the day though like I feel like Ice Cavern is a good example we made like the crazy idea to just have the two paths cross over each other so first the killer was like on the inside and then the killer was like still on the inside but the map like wrapped around each other and like went into a tunnel and, like for us like Looking back at it, like we, we solved it in like a good way. It didn't make a lot of trouble, but never having made something like that that succeeded, it's such a major headache trying to make it work. Um, and, and that also like added on top of like the difficulty of just making a new iteration of the game because in different two, um, we never really thought about that too much. The maps were there, people liked them, but there wasn't like a high bar of standard. And then when we made the new iteration, um, I felt like those things really made it harder for us to just like go at it like it really made a lot of like difficulties like it really like required us to to think about it and that's something that was different to us like there was such a game design progress going on that we hadn't like gone through before um and that is also like giving difficulties now to the community trying to make these maps because they're not written rules they're not like set in stone um it really is like a creative process. It really is something that you learn as you go. So we have a few like seasoned map makers from the community that have made more than one map. And usually their submissions are like very usable. We can usually just like spend some time, um, tidy them up, program them, put them in the game. But we also get submissions that honestly are, are super amazing to look at. Like they're very well built, aesthetically pleasing, really out there. You can see that they put so much creativity in them. But then like on a functional level, it's like, oh, we're not really able to use this. Dang it. <laughs> and like that also makes it harder for us to like, um, like set up like guidelines. Cause I would love to just set up like a formula, like follow this, you'll have a good depth map we'll add it to the game that would probably ramp up like our content release pipeline like so much because right now we're not releasing much um but it's just a very complicated thing and you want to preserve that uniqueness at the same time as yeah well. I, I feel like that's kind of like inherent to the success of the game too because like by keeping that bar of quality we've always been able to um like control what makes it into the game um so recently roblox released the new lighting engine that they have uh, worked on for a couple of years so that's called like the future is bright mm -hmm. and by having such a fine control over the map and by us always working on them we were able to push that out pretty quickly so now every map in the game has like lighting that is adjusted perfectly to the future is bright and that again like helps us to push the platform we get some promotion from roblox because we're one of the first games to implement that system but it again like raises a bar for community members that they haven't worked with that and they might be like thinking about making a map and that might make it even harder for them um so that's why we definitely are out there to help them and we definitely want that to be like a more collaborative process but like the bar of entry is really high it's not as like we would like it to be lower but we don't know how to do it Moving sort of slightly away from, from the map design, um, what is the kind of biggest lesson that you guys uh, have learned from like a, 
a, a mistake or an error that you made during the creation of your games? Oh boy. Okay. Yeah, why do we start? Where do we start? <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like... To make that plural lessons, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> we can make this like a top 10 list yeah. if you want to. I felt like the, the, the best like thing that showed like how inexperienced we were back in the day is that like right at the start of Death Run 3 when we released it, um, there was so much new stuff in the game that we hadn't made before. Uh, we have a backend programmer who really helped us with most of that stuff. His name is Felibor. Um, and he was able to to just crank up a ton of content that, you know, we couldn't do more than just like trust that because like we, we don't know how to make like backend scripts. We didn't know that back in the day. And like to us, that was like a whole new world. We could implement developer products. We could implement boosts into the game. We could implement all of this stuff that not a lot of games had back in the day because they weren't standard yet. Um, so, so we were ready for launch. We were going to crank out the game. We were going to promote it on Twitter. It blew up overnight, which was awesome. Honestly, we woke up, I think, to like 10K concurrent, which was like our highest to date, which is awesome. That'll do I think, it. I think 8K was what we reached because they also played it on the uh, live stream at a time. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah. it got boosted a little up. Uh, at a time, it was actually the record of most players online oh. at the same time. Mm. Uh, we just barely managed to beat it, which Still counts. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. the previous record was like 7,000, but then nice. we hit the 8,000 mark. Yeah. But then if you compare it to what the uh, record is right now, it's almost like 100 times as much. It's crazy <laughs> because that was like 2015. I remember us releasing that game like right after RDC in London. That was our first RDC too. We were like all hyped up there. We even presented the game at RDC. Yeah. And like it was full of bugs, but like we cranked it out. Like most of it was fixed at that point, and we we're like, okay, let's do this. Release it overnight, like eight thousand players. It was awesome. And then we noticed the bug with the saving system. Um, not everyone's data got saved. People would purchase coins and gems into the game, uh, which we implemented with developer products, which were fairly new at the time, um, and they didn't save. So people would go into the game, they would buy gems, they would come back, and it was gone. Um, now, you can probably realize that when you when you just have a new game, you're trying to save your image, you're trying to like get out a game that people remember, and losing all your diamonds is not a very good first impression. <laughs> and you um, remember that, but it won't be a good reason for remembering that. Exactly, like we didn't want people to remember our game that way, because that would have <laughs> been bad. Um, I remember vividly us, first of all, trying to save like the game at that point. Um, the first step that we did was to shut the game down. We had to, because the game wasn't functioning, even with 8,000 players online. We couldn't have these players purchase things and just lose the trust in our game. That would have been like even worse for the future. Uh, so we shut it down. We were looking for solutions, and you know, like our backend programmer fixed the issue, thankfully, which was awesome. Um, but then we run into the issue, like, okay, we have all these players, they purchased so many things, they, they sort of got it, but then it was taken away from them. How do we fix this? Um, at the time, Roblox had the uh, purchase log where you could basically just like open a web page. It would show you a big table of all the things that people bought into your game, but it would show it one by one. There wasn't a way to like download an Excel sheet or like do like a spreadsheet type thing. The only thing you had was like a little page that listed like 20 entries and like a next page button. You could press it once, you would get the next 20 entries. You could probably imagine like how long it takes to get all, all of them like when your game has 8,000 players. Yep. So I remember I wrote like a little piece of code. Uh, at the time, I didn't know JavaScript, so I was just like trying to like do like a like a auto hotkey thing that would just like press the button for me, do like a control A to copy it all. Um, I would pretty much just paste that into like a text editor. I wrote another macro to uh, like isolate the username and the thing that they purchased from the HTML. 
Um, and then we, we ended up with the spreadsheet at one point, but then we still had to implement it into the game. So we use the uh, Roblox Studio uh, data store API, so you can actually access save data from Roblox Studio. Um, and we literally had three machines running overnight, all just going through that spreadsheet. We would divide it up in like three spreadsheets and send one of them to like each of our computers. Uh, we would run the script overnight and the next day um, our script said that it had like saved all of their data. So we, we trusted the script. Um, we didn't even check if like saved their own data. We just threw it online and, and it worked. And from, um, from that day on, it saved the game. Yeah, one thing also about data store is that you only have that many uh, requests per minute. Yeah. So even though we knew exactly um, these people purchased these items, we had to wait because otherwise if we would have had to, like if we ran all the code at the same time, we could have potentially like DDoS uh, denial service uh, on the uh, web uh, end of Roblox because they have to uh, make sure that all this data actually gets through. Yeah. So that's why Roblox has a uh, limit on how many requests you can make, which also meant that we had to take hours uh, for it to actually work. And I think we, we ended up building like a 30 second cooldown in between each purchase request. So for every purchase, we would load their data, we would uh, load the balance onto their accounts, we would save it. But if someone were to purchase like five gem packages, that's like two and a half minutes just for one person updating their data, which is why we divided the spreadsheet amongst like three machines and it took like all night to do it. But the commitment that you went to, to reverse this and fix this is commendable. Like the, the <laughs> amount of like stuff that you, that you, um, Let's just say that it was more out of being terrified that things would <laughs> yeah. never be fixed again if we didn't fix it. So we didn't get too much sleep. We just were in like a mission to, to save our lives at that point because we felt like, okay, we've worked on this game for like a year. It, it cannot fail. That would be so bad. How important has, I mean, I don't want to call it a failure because obviously it, it was such a productive, it was a productive lesson for you guys, but how important have little failures like that been to your experience and growth as developers? I feel like it, it goes both ways. So on, on one hand, like we have a very solid community. We have a community that is definitely very committed to the game and they, they care a lot about their data, about their items. They care a lot about like the, the health of the game pretty much. So whenever there's something that like messes that up, whether there's something that like requires our attention immediately, um, I've skipped sleep a couple of nights to, to fix those issues. Because I feel like if I don't do that, if there's anything that like, is in the game for longer than an hour while I know it's going on and I don't fix it, that's like breaking that trust with our players. Um, so I try to avoid that. On the other hand, there is also the situation where it has happened multiple times where issues came up while I was on vacation. I didn't have a laptop with me uh, or stuff happened otherwise. I feel like, okay, like I can try to jump through hoops to fix this, but it's not like a life-threatening issue. The game is still going to be around next week. If I don't update this right away, I can tweet out that there is an issue with the game. We're working on it. Um, but right now I don't have the ability to work on it. I feel like that's something that you learn as a developer, like actually you do it more than like, your initial month of releasing a game is gonna be very stressful. You're gonna be on top of it all the time. And that's a lot of fun, but if you do this for years on end, you're gonna burn yourself out. And I felt like that really also gave me a life lesson, like okay, the game is still gonna be around next week. Players are not gonna stop playing just because of one issue. Um, and players usually know that like these developers are also just people like them. They have a life around Roblox. They, they don't develop 24 seven. 
Um, so if there's something going on, like usually your players will be more lenient, they will be understanding, as long as you have like an open line of communication. Don't just tell them like, oh, nothing is broken. You're just like, you know, just just don't worry about You're it. You're lying. Yeah, like that wouldn't like set you up to have a good relation with your players. But just being open about it, just, just being accepting of it and just being like, yeah, you know, I, I screwed that up, but I'll fix it. Just give me a week. Usually players will like that. Mm-hmm. I also try to usually classify uh, like bugs and that kind of stuff in different like groups, uh, which is pretty much just data issues uh, and game breaking issues and then minor issues. Like usually, if you make a game uh, and you run into an issue, it's usually going to be uh, just a minor issue, like uh, something doesn't quite work. Um, and then game-breaking issues is where you have just a big fault in the logic of your game and it just stops working. So that's something you really have to fix. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other issue, data issues, is usually not something that actually interferes with your uh, game. If you have a data issue, it's still going to run. Uh, the only issue is that uh, people might have bought items that influence their data and you really don't want those issues to happen. Um, nowadays, a lot of people that I see starting out on the platform, they tell me like, hey, I've been on the platform for a couple of months looking into making my own game. I'm trying to make this subscription service and I'm trying to make this and this and selling these game passes. How do you do it? It seems so complicated. And then like the only thing I can tell them is like, hey, I made my first game like like four years after I started playing on Breathe, the Breathe, calm down, breathe. Exactly. Like most of the developers that you see on the platform right now, they slowly eased into making games on Roblox. They learn everything along the way. They didn't try to do everything at once. And I also get that it can be very frustrating as like a new developer not being able to do everything yet. Um, it's gonna take you some time to learn. It's a big learning curve in that sense. Um, it, it's gonna pay off. Like if you are able to make your own game, if you're gonna be able to put it out there, have people play it, it's amazing. It's such a good feeling. Um, but don't feel stressed out when you're not able to make your first game within a month and it's not going to be successful right away. It's how we all started. So what do you guys do then for you? You said you prioritize um, your own mental health and, 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 and just general health as well. What do you guys do for downtime? How do you, how do you unwind after a hard days or several nights continuous programming? As you right. So for me, this is something that I have been working on in the past couple of months. Um, I used to do a university course for game development in the past couple of years. So that really gave me like a better understanding of how like these things work behind the scenes, how it works on like a more professional level. Um, so at that point, I was just doing games all the time. I would come home from university where I worked on games all the time. I would be spending my evening making Roblox games because at the time that was like sort of like an escape from university. Um, and then I would go to sleep and just repeat the cycle every single day. And that wasn't fun. And then I was an intern for my internship at university. I was an intern at Roblox, which was awesome. Um, I was part of the incubator program. Um, and that allowed me to, to still work on games, but now it was a little less serious. It, it definitely was a full-time job, don't get me wrong on that one. Uh, but it at least gave me like a better um, like sign, like, okay, we have a planning, we follow that planning. Um, at the end of the day, off the dinner, probably not a good idea to work on your game anymore. Um, so really trying to like set boundaries to yourself is a very good idea, but even now I'm still struggling with it. Every time I release something new, I will definitely stick around for the night to see how it does. I cannot release something, go to sleep and get some sleep. I will be awake for the entire day, uh, checking it on my phone, checking on Twitter to see if there's any tweets about stuff going wrong. Um, it, it doesn't give me like ease of mind. So. It's definitely depending on the situation. Whenever you're like going through a stressful moment in like your release cycle, don't be afraid to just like be online or to check it out because that's like natural. Um, if it's something that you poured in months of your life, 
you know, like what's losing one night on that? It's your creativity, it's like your creativity, your heart and soul are going into a game. Exactly. You're gonna like, feel nervous about it. Yeah, it would give you much more stress to try to ignore it than it is to just stick up with it and just try to see how it goes. But like, I feel like everyone at some point reaches a point where, especially if they're doing this long term, if they're doing this like as like their career path, um, you're gonna have to figure out how to like mentally uh, set it apart from like your private life. Um, and that can be very difficult. Like I felt like there was a point when I was doing the internship where I was pretty much just living uh, on social media. I was living within the developer community, which is awesome because I, I love every single developer out here. But it's also very taxing your mental health. Um, at some points, I started putting family like aside. I wouldn't really respond to like messages anymore because I was working and I felt like you know this is what I want to do. Uh, but then there are certain points in your life when you feel like okay. Like, I would like to talk to more people, and it's like, oh, well, that family I sort of like shoved aside. That's not a very good idea if you still want to talk to them every once in a while. Uh, and the same goes to developers. Like, usually when you're like out on the Twitter uh, trying to like, like send some messages to your friends on Discord, like, it's all very like, it's social, but is it really? And that's like what I'm finding out, like going to RDC, like there's a ton of people here, and you can like more connect on a more like personal level. You can give people hugs, and you can like learn about like their life stories. And that's not something you get to do on like a daily basis and it gives like a more realistic sense of like what developing is really about. It's not about burning yourself out, it's being like about making games in a passionate way, showing your creativity and just like having a good time. And I feel like that goes like hand in hand with learning how to deal with like your mental health and like how to, you know, like prioritize things. Like you definitely are your own priority and your game comes as like a second thing. I mean, that's beautiful. It was so, it got so philosophical. Yeah. I love that. Like, wow. You've got to be able to find the fun, right? Yeah. It, it's that's definitely why we're getting to it in the first fun. place. That's why we're all involved with Roblox because we yeah. want to create experiences. I feel like that's how we all start out. And that's like, like at this point in our journey, we've done this for so long that it's like, for me, I've been alive longer with Roblox than I have been without it. And that's insane. Um, I don't want to keep you guys um, too long. Um, but what is your, uh, or one of your favorite Roblox games that you haven't worked on? As for me, my favorite game that I haven't worked on is probably going to be Hexaria uh, because it's such a unique concept and I think um, it is a little complex for the platform, for the audience right now, but I see a lot of potential in the game and it's something really unique that actually could work pretty well on Roblox because of how Roblox is structured, uh, the way how you play together with friends in different servers. Um, it's essentially a game that could be really fun to play on your own, but even more fun to play with game uh, with friends because you know it's more fun if you have communication and that kind of stuff. Cool, Wesley. So for the longest, uh, my favorite game outside of the things that I've worked on myself, because of course those are my favorite. Um, it has definitely <laughs> been uh, Super Bomb Survival by Polyhex, um, which is funny because just like. Five minutes before we started recording, I finally walked into him today. But like lately, it has kind of like been Arsenal, which I find awesome. It's like this shooter where you change your character every time you kill someone, and like it's it's a lot of fun. I really like the creativity behind like all the weapons. There's a ton of content in the game. The maps are quite fun. So yeah, definitely digging it. But you're just holding out for another Star Wars step onto a platform and transform into another person kind of game, right? If that ever shows up, I'll be down to play it. Yeah. I'll be hyped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we explored a lot of topics here and I think this is a really useful piece of content that we can share to the Roblox community. So thank you very much for contributing that. Um, and I wish you all the success with Death Run and, and all of your future exploits and with university study as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. No problem. 
If you haven't tried Death Run yet, let me tell you, it's absolutely worth a play. Just be prepared to die a lot, which I suppose is implied by the name, really. Most recently, Wesley and Zumbody were part of the winning team in the 2019 RDC Game Jam, so congratulations to them for that. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode very soon. Bye for now.